Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Danielle Dinsons and Hannah Hodgson. And so it's fine to both of you. Hi, Alan. Hi, Adam. So thank you for joining us. In this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about two very high profile cases that have been in the news. That's the case of Andrew Malkinson, who served a considerable amount of time in prison for a crime he did not commit. And also um, the case of Kevin Spacey, who has been found not guilty of various sexual abuse allegations. But before we get underway, I need to remind those of you who are listening that obviously we're going to be talking about difficult and sensitive subjects. If you feel that you may be upset or distressed in any way, now's the time to turn away and go off and do something else. Otherwise, please do stay with us. So let's get underway with this podcast. So we're going to be talking about these two cases. That's Andrew Malkinson, who has been cleared by the Court of Criminal Appeal. He was um, the victim of a terrible miscarriage of justice. He'd been sent to prison way back in 2004 for very serious um, sexual offence and spent some, some 17 years in prison when he clearly, as it transpired, should not have been found guilty in the first place and, may, and probably should never have been arrested. Anyway, he's been cleared by the Criminal Court of Appeal and we've all learned about his terrible ordeal. And then, same day, um, in the news, we've had the acquittal of Spacey. So, what is interesting about these two cases is that they highlight, for me, the fact that justice always has to be done, seen to be done, and there has to be considerable transparency, because if you don't have that, then miscarriages of justice happen and a lot of people end up being hurt and we're very conscious of that in our work are we not Anna and Danny because you know we try and bring cases and of course our object is to be successful in obtaining justice for victims and survivors of sexual abuse and in our work we're very conscious the need for justice and that justice has to work in all directions, because without it, the whole system would fall down. You know, we don't see the innocent harmed and in the same way. We don't want perpetrators of serious offences or any offences getting away with it, so to speak. So what I suggest is, because I've been whittling away with this rather long-winded introduction, but I thought it necessary to set the scene, is to talk about with you, Danny and Hannah, about what we feel about all of this, particularly on the issue of disclosure of evidence, because the Malkinson case does reveal in quite, quite graphic ways where it all goes wrong and someone ends up behind bars for a crime that they didn't commit. Yet at the same time, out there, you know, we've got to be conscious of the fact that 
they can be victims and survivors who've also been deprived of, of justice. Yeah, that's right, Alan. I mean, the, the Andrew Malcolmson, the press release on this, this is something I'd never heard of. You know, this was 20 years ago, this man was convicted. When you actually read around what happened, he was actually released after 17 years. You know, he'd done his time in good behaviour, but there were still restrictions on him. He wasn't allowed to travel outside the UK. He would have still been on the sex offenders register. He'd have still been young enough to probably need employment. So there were still many restrictions on what he could actually do because of this conviction. And then when you read about what actually happened, apparently there was an eyewitness to him who, who turned around to be somebody who had multiple convictions themselves and that it was DNA that actually came about that proved that it wasn't him. So, you know, a terrible fate for somebody who's lost, you know, a third of their life here. And you're right, because what actually has happened here is that the, the perpetrator of this horrific attack was then, you know, free to carry on potentially abusing other people. And of course, this isn't the first time this has happened, because I remember a long time ago, a notorious case where Stefan Kisko was wrongly convicted of a sexually motivated murder of a, a young girl named Leslie Seed, in this case goes back a long, long time. And Stefan would be described, I suppose, today as someone who had a serious learning disability. He certainly had medical conditions and he had what I think would be described today as a, a learning disability. And basically he was, I think, fitted up by the police. This is, you know, going way back quite a number of decades when all of this happened. But the end result was that he was wrongly convicted of this young girl's murder. It subsequently transpired that he was incapable of committing these crimes. And after spending oops, maybe 15 or 16 years in prison, he was finally released. And the trial judge actually apologised to him because it was a gross um, miscarriage of justice and the real perpetrator was prosecuted and convicted, if I recall correctly, and sent to prison. But that case highlights the vulnerability of people. It also highlighted why legal representation is required. Because if I remember correctly, he may have made a false confession or the confession that the police say that he made was somehow a false one or a fabricated one. Or it, it, you know, this guy didn't have a legal representation. And it just highlights the fact that vulnerable people need protection when they are in trouble and they need often legal representation and support. Otherwise, things go terribly wrong, which is what happened in that particular case. And so it's a sort of astonishing that here we are in 2023, still talking about these things, how we, how the justice system can get it wrong. Okay, justice system in 2023 is recognised that serious mistakes have been, been made and Mr Malcolmson's name has been cleared. But I think these cases highlight how we need to be very careful when dealing with what are very sensitive but highly charged matters, sexual offences, um, sexual offences resulting in a, in, a, in a homicide. And of course, there are calls, are there not, to try and reform disclosure as, as regards victims, survivors' records, how 
people you know, can be questioned in court and so on, which is all very understandable. But I don't know if you agree with me, there has to be a great deal of caution when it comes to this, because you don't want things going wrong and people being convicted when they are not guilty. Likewise, you don't want that is going wrong and the victims and survivors then find that there isn't anyone being held to account yeah. for what's happened to them. So it's not all just about the accused. It's also um, about getting it right for victims and survivors because you don't want to be in a position where they think justice is going to be done and then they find justice can't be done because there's been a mess up. I think as well it's not for an abuse survivor, it's not necessarily just about justice. You know, a lot of our clients, it's about feeling safe. So when they know that their abuser is behind bars, you, you know, there's an, an element of feeling safer because, you know, the impact is constantly checking windows, doors, where they're going out, fear of bumping into their abuser. So the wrong person has been put behind bars. It doesn't offer anything to the survivor. There's a lot of hang up now on conviction rates and how the rape trial, the conviction rates are low anyway. So the last thing that we want is perhaps the focus just to be on that so that the wrong person is imprisoned. You've just ruined two people's lives there. Person that's wrongly been accused and put in prison, but also the survivor who's not going to get that justice. Well, yeah, and I think what these cases highlight in particular is just how important it is to have disclosure from both sides from both points of view and you know make sure that is thorough and because these cases clearly show that evidence can go badly wrong from the other side and just as you say Danny how it can be devastating for victims on that side of things it can be equally devastating on the other side when there's wrongful convictions as you said with the Malkinson case he's literally lost well he, he'd lost a third of his life yeah and no matter what the outcome was no matter the compensation nothing's going to replace that and it's really really sad the one thing that we talked about as a team before recording this podcast is that the point that i've made is that you know you have more faith in, in the justice criminal system now because you think that dna will be better now than perhaps it was 20 30 40 years ago but only if it's being processed properly. But when there, there's mistakes there, it, it's going to be very, very difficult. You know, we, we put a lot on the basis of the new technology that we have and the abilities to look at DNA for convictions. But clearly, we are talking about this case that was 20 years ago, but the DNA was clearly missed. And as this gentleman said, that his, his DNA has proved his innocence, but it's taken, you know, 20 years to get to that point. And I think these cases highlight that one needs to be very objective about how you approach prosecuting in the criminal courts or bringing a civil claim, because you have to be in a position to step back and I think look at all of the evidence and not some of it. And, you know, I know there's concerns about disclosing personal medical records and therapy records and so on. I get that. but. We know from our own work that those records can actually assist survivor. It's not all about trying to find something to discredit. So that's always the fear and the concern. And yes, you do want to avoid mud being thrown in order to deflect from the reality. I mean, I can understand that. You always have to be aware of that. But at the same time, you have to, I think, from what we see, appreciate 
and actually what's in the records and actually support victim and survivor. Don't you think? I think in some respects you're, you're right. There's just got to be a balance and each case is different. My concerns, especially when we talked about disclosure previously, is that I never wanted it to be that disclosure had to be to the point that someone was put off from reporting to the police, for example, if all of their text messages have been gone through, or being put off seeking treatment until, say, the criminal trial is over because they don't feel that they can talk freely to their therapist. So it is a real balancing act, I think, that the, the victim or survivor is not prevented from seeking therapy because of what the trial that's going on because we also know that at the moment that trials can take a number of years to actually get to court and so you don't want to be somebody to be held back seeking that necessary therapy. No I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions about a lot of this because there's no reason why a survivor cannot have therapy and so on. And everyone needs to be allowed to victim's code, you know, which gives victims and survivors rights and greater purchase in the, in the justice system. And I think everybody from the courts downwards should be very familiar with the victim's code and um, appreciate that victims and survivors do have rights and those rights need to be um, respected and followed through, you know, whether it's access to information, whether it's access to information about the case, whether it's uh, access to legal advice, access to treatment and so on. These are all very important aspects. And, it, you know, it's helped sort of striking that balance, not to detract from the rights of the accused, but at the same time, it's not putting the survivor and the victim in some kind of secondary position, because I think they often feel that they've got a walk-on part, so to speak, you know, which is clearly not right. And um, I can understand from my experiences and what I've witnessed over the years, why they may feel that. And victim's code, I would like to think, goes some way in trying to recast that balance. Yeah, I agree. You know, the Kevin Spacey, which all shows the justice system at work, he was found, you know, innocent. His innocence was maintained. He denied any wrongdoing, and the jury was not persuaded by the prosecution that he committed what he'd been accused of. You know, we've seen the justice system at work in those two cases, and people will be, I suspect, very interested in you know the issues that those two cases um grow up. But from our point of view, I think we're just conscious of how absolutely necessary it is to really scrutinise evidence in these cases and to be in a position to stand back and, and be objective about it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think all press in relation to whether there was conviction or not, it, it still raises awareness of sexual assault and hopefully any survivors out there that listen, I hope it still encourages people to come forward and report their abuse to the police because the last thing that we want is when press comes out with someone found not guilty, if that puts off anyone actually reporting their own abuse. Yeah, there's, um, there's a, I think we mentioned that, you know, there can be a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions and, and so on. If there's someone out there listening, uh, debating whether or not to report what's happened to them, my advice would be to report sooner matters can be dealt with, you know, delay in coming forward or, you know, potentially causes problems. And we can understand from our work why people are reluctant to come forward and why they may never come forward at all. You know, we get that, we under, 
I understand that. We are very familiar with all of that from our, from our cases. But all I would say is you're debating in your own mind whether or not to come forward, come forward. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd say the same thing to anyone. Thanks, Alan. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, to listening to this latest podcast. If you have any thoughts or questions for us, please do get in touch. If you have any suggestions for any future podcasts, please do contact us. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Danny and it's goodbye from Hannah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.